Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect your children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family. I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. And if you haven't already, get your tickets for the Protector Symposium. The first annual Protector Symposium is taking place in Riverside, California, November 15th and 16th. We've got an all-star lineup of seriously elite trainers, Yosef Badu, Ed Caldrone and Mike Pannone are all going to be there teaching and instructing us on, well, our common goal, how to make good people more dangerous. So no matter what your background is, you're going to learn skills around the one unifying principle of protection. Get your tickets. Uh, spots are going quickly. And remember, you're going to get over $100 worth of value back in different things that you're going to get from our sponsors with your purchase of a ticket. Check the website out, Byron Rogers Motivation, for ticket information and to learn more out. Boom. Hey, what's going on, guys? Byron Rogers here for another episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle. I've got an awesome guest here today, Mr. Tom Kyer. How you doing, sir? Great. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this one. I've heard some awesome things about you. Um, it's a topic I know nothing about. <laughs> so that's always interesting, man, you know? So we're going to kick around some knife fighting and all that fun stuff. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a savage topic though, man. It's a pretty intense, it's a pretty intense thing, but I'm excited. I'll let you go on ahead and break out, you know, with the first question I have, you know, I'm all about understanding the man behind the work, you know, uh, people see our results and they sure. want those, but I think they need to understand who we are on a deep level. So who would you say you are at your core? Well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough question to nail down in, in just a, uh, a brief kind of blurb. But I look at myself as a warrior based on the warrior virtues that I would uh, espouse to follow and, uh, and constantly uh, improve upon. So a warrior, definitely protector, you know, which, which warriors often end up being, you know, everything that I am to everyone else, where I'm a father, uh, a brother, but, uh, I strive to be someone who can be counted on by the people who are in my tribe. So that's, that's essentially my, my goal and who I am, you know, man, that's awesome. I, uh, I think that, I mean, that last one, especially, you know, that to me is like the definition of an honorable man. You know, the honor is kind of the fabric that binds 
tribes together, like these masculine tribes of old together. And it's like, when you said, I strive to be someone who can be counted on, man, you know, that struck me at my core down there. I mean, because that's our Marine Corps ethos. That's in anything and everything. I think at a deep level of masculinity, that's really what I think, I think that's what we're aiming at, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think uh, it's something that is maybe lost in some ways today only because um, it's not really mainstream to be that, that guy, you know, it's uh, I think people nowadays are more looking for how can they get what they want, not how can they be counted on or trusted or give back or, or, you know, the ethos of the warrior is uh, self-sacrifice is part of it. So that's not really in, in, in vogue today. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's definitely, if you base your life on honor, that thing that um, no one can take from you, Mm -hmm. no one can take your honor, you know, you can only give it away. And, um, and that makes it a very valuable thing that, you know, someone can, um, take your uh, possessions, right? They can mm-hmm. take all your stuff. They can take your life, but they can't take your honor. You you have to give it away. And and that makes it very a very valuable thing. And yet uh, people give it away every day um, without really a thought. And, you know, that, that's, it's that, that's the world we're living in right now. You know, honor is not it's not a currency like it used to be. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're living your life as a warrior, it is a currency for you. And um, obviously, tribe, you know, who is your tribe, and uh, and and uh, the definition of who your tribe is will 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 give you an idea of of who holds that honor. You know the uh, the requirement for it. You know, so you know who who do you protect or who do you owe your allegiance to? Who do you love, basically? And um, that's 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 where the warrior has to be focused. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people look at warriors and say uh, they're focused on violence or or are focused on uh, you know, the death and destruction side of things. But really, warriors are focused on who they love because everything they do is for that. So it's just a, a, another expression of love, basically. But um, obviously, you know, uh, in, entails violence or the struggle, you know, that that we can provide uh, because of certain skills. But it's uh, it's still our honor that we're that we're playing with, you know, that we're, that we're doing everything for. So. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's good to go. And that's all so true. And yeah, in our society now or nothing sacred, it's, it's kind of tough. It's tough having that kind of trying to roll by that old currency, you know, it's a dying breed uh, yep. type of thing, but man, it almost makes it a little more honorable, you know, and especially when you see another, other man that still has that those values or person, you know, woman or whoever that has those values. It's like, you know, I really hope we can get it to come back because <laughs> the world's yeah. a better place, man. You know? Well, you know, it's, it's a, it's a natural thing that it will yeah. come back. You know, there are a few stages that 
societies go through. And in the very beginning, every single society starts off as a might-based society. So basically, whoever's the strongest makes the rules, and pure strength is what uh, determines who sits closest to the fire and who gets the food and who gets the good, you know, um, shelter and all the all the things that go with the very basics of life. But at a at a certain point, a might-based society naturally evolved into an honor-based society. So, you know, when you have everyone fighting all the time for every scrap, people at some point say, hey, we don't have to do this anymore. Why don't we find a way to work together? And it's still based on your on your might to some degree, but you're not going to fight over everything. You're going you're gonna to basically say, give me your word that you will do this, and I'll give you my word that I will do this. And therefore, the currency in that society is not who's the strongest, but it's the word. It's your honor, you know, so we can live next to each other and we don't have to fight, but we can share resources and we can we can. But it's all going to be based on honor, you know, because uh, a might based society will not live very long. Uh, because they will constantly kill each other off enough that they'll never get strong. They'll they'll just keep fighting, killing off the strongest men, and um, and then would not progress. So then honor becomes the thing, right? So so that we don't have to kill off all of our warriors, we can we can make treaties and, and understand, right? So that's a natural thing. Now after honor, though, honor based society naturally goes into what what they call a um, a dignity-based society so a polite society (laughs) yeah you go from hey uh everyone who had a certain upbringing a certain background has honor based in their family name and and all that stuff and you start to build up honor as a currency in society well what happens then is everyone wants to get in on that Everyone wants to be part of it. So then they start saying stuff like, um, well, everyone's got the natural, like kind of a value natural or... yeah, value and everyone's got dignity and, and then uh, everyone jumps on board, right? So <sighs> it's not really based on honor anymore. It's based on just being a person, just being a human being. And <sighs> uh, therefore nothing special uh, necessarily about how you live your life. It's the fact that you're alive and you're a person. After that comes a victim-based society. So, oh, man, <laughs> how, how, you know how do you, how do I gain? Uh, I, I'm alive like everyone else, uh, so I get the, the, the certain amount of dignity and uh, respect as a person. But how do I get extra respect? How do I get even more uh, currency in this society? Well, they look at people who are who are weaker. And they say, you know, let's give these people a helping hand, right? And then everyone tries to find out how they can be weaker so that they can get a little extra benefit from that society. So I'm I'm alive like everyone else, but I need even more uh, currency in this society. So then that comes into a victim-based society and everyone looks for how do they get victim status. And after that, Society will become weakened because of that. So what happens is they start to uh, 
no longer value strength, no longer value honor. It doesn't matter anymore. Everyone's got the same. And some people have a little bit more if they're weak. Um, so then it becomes a value to be weak. And then what happens is your capacity to survive eventually becomes weak. And um, it, everything breaks down. And when everything breaks down, what happens is the strongest rise to the top and it becomes yeah. a might-based society again. <laughs> and, then, yeah. you know, that, and you see that in different parts of the world mm-hmm. where warlords run the show and there is no law and there is no, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, we'll go back to it, but it's going to be a messy, bloody time, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, not, a, it's not a good thing. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. the way, it's just the way the cycle works, you know, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of it now. We're in the middle of the beginning of the victim based stuff now. So. <laughs> Man, that's yeah. good. Yeah, no, we shall see how it works. That's a good little, good little lesson. I know it's in the back of everyone's mind. I know all of us guys like us are just waiting because, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the back of your mind, you're like, this can't continue. You're all going to you learn know, your lesson you know eventually. <laughs> yep, yeah. That's you know. funny. What um so tactical background, sir? Tactical background. Well, I uh, really the uh, most of the training that I've had has been with Christopher Castaneda Senior, and okay. he's dead now. But um, I trained with him for thirty years, and his his uh, teaching for me was. Uh, a lot of combatives, a lot of edge weapon work. He's the head of, of Sayak Kali, uh, Sayak Fighting Systems. And uh, it's a blade-based art. So we did that. But we also did a lot of security work. Uh, he trained us uh, in protection, for protection detail. And uh, we did that for, for many years. Uh, I also worked for some other mentors of mine, Ralph F. Earl, who's a a protection expert, you know, executive protection guy. I worked with him for a few years and, and learned quite a bit as a young man with him. I've uh, done a lot of training with firearms, a lot of training with uh, various combatives, uh, grappling, striking, uh, blade work, obviously, in multiple systems. Studied under Willem de Tours in Kuntal uh, Silat, which is uh, Indonesian and uh, Chinese system, also a blade-based art. You know, I worked, uh, worked for a little bit as a police officer, worked as a, um, uh, a bouncer for many years, working security for clubs and for uh, other kind of venues, but mostly big clubs. And, you know, really did a lot of work there, you know, dealing with crowds, dealing with, um, you know, real world fights, you know, so... You know, training in martial arts is one thing, and I boxed for a long time, wrestled for a long time, but uh, nothing really, nothing really uh, substitutes the reality of fighting in the real world uh, as opposed to a sparring match or something along those lines, uh-huh. and uh, or even competition because so many possibilities for things to go sideways, and. Uh, you have to constantly be tracking all that, and uh, you know it. It events it does go sideways, and you and you learn from it if you don't get killed. So it's uh, it's a good opportunity uh, to, to get that real world 
kind of experience. So I did that for about 10 years. And in 1997, uh, started the SIAC um, Tactical Group, which basically started training police, military, in various uses for combatives in the tactical world. So, you know, combatives that are used tactically are different than combatives that are used in competition or in self-defense or something along those lines. So we really focused the curriculum and um, made it so that we could implement it for law enforcement, military, security, uh, et cetera. So started that in 97 and I've run that that company since then. So right now we're, um, you know, we're, we train mostly military. And of course, over the years, because we have a feedback mechanism built into the system so that there's constant feedback from everyone that we train uh, to help the system grow organically rather than try to just make stuff up or figure out what we want to do by some arbitrary method. We want people who come from the real world application and start to feed information back into the system. And then we decide from there what, how to tackle those issues. So a lot of operators that we train over the years come back, uh, back home after deployment and they say, Hey, we had these situations. Uh, what can we do about this? What can we do about that? And then that, that leads to more training and more curriculum uh, development. And of course, that stuff gets loaded into the curriculum. It gets sent back downrange with operators who, in turn, come back and have more feedback. And so over the years, the system has uh, developed. And um, also what we do has developed. Uh, when the uh, guys that we trained saw that we do more than blade work, they were like, hey, what else What else do you do? Do different types of combatives, do different um, work with with firearms. And, um, and then we also do integrated work. So how do all of these things work together? And uh, that was the big thing that uh, the operators that we trained started wanting us to install and build into curriculums and uh, give them workups for. And so that's the exchange program, you know? So of course they're training us in their, in their tactics and how they do things so that we can better understand that. And then we can provide training and accelerated training, training that's current, you know, has a certain currency to it. And, um, that's a big deal. So having uh, always stating on the cutting edge of what's happening, what is the battle space telling us is required, you know, as things change in the battle space, we need to change. And hopefully we change ahead of time before it's uh, before you're forced to change through some catastrophe, <laughs> catastrophe or something. Yeah. Something really bad, you know, you want to evolve in time, you know? So, yeah, that's, so that's, that's the kind of stuff we, uh, we've worked on tactically, you know, a lot of stuff with, uh, Naval Special Warfare, some stuff with the Army, uh, Special Operations Units. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the, the majority of our, of our work is with 
government and military uh, and, you know, special mission unit, national level military guys. So that's uh, that's kind of the tactical background and what we're involved in now. Um, yeah. You know, we do a lot. We still do a lot of protection work uh, for high valued clients, but primarily we're a training company, you know, is what we do primarily. You know, we do that other stuff just as uh, kind of the stay in the game and and uh, stay current ourselves. You know, it's a uh, you don't want to just teach. You want to have uh, your hand on the pulse more, more or less, you know. Yeah, I can. Good to go. That's awesome. The uh, And hopefully we can catch up when you come out here to Cali and I can learn some stuff, man. I've been really wanting to get into this. Yeah, we'll get together for sure. We'll get together Heck yeah. Sure. The, uh, and I heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true. You don't have to answer it, obviously. But uh, were you one of the tactical advisors for the Hunted movie? The Hunted? Yeah. 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 Uh, we were tactical advisors on the hunt and we also choreographed all the fights. So all the, all the fights were, were choreographed by us. And uh, we have a wing of our organization that just does movies and uh, kind of stage and, and uh, TV and movies and stuff. And uh, so we were, we were out there, worked on, worked on the hunt. We worked on a couple different shows, but yeah, um, that after the hunt, it, uh, we kind of got recognized for uh, the fight scenes and the blade work in the hunted. So there was definitely yeah. a lot of um, a lot of interest in the in, in the blade work after the hunted came out for sure. Yeah, man. yeah. that's awesome. That is a fantastic movie, man. <laughs> the cool points go through the roof on that one. I uh, I'm gonna have to watch it again just because we're talking about it. So let's see here. Jump right into it. Uh, you're out and about. Uh, doing your thing out here in life and you see someone produce a knife just something for people to consider you know when they if they see when they see a knife what's going through your mind yeah what's the next move well yeah some some stuff to to understand right away you know intent you know what is the intent of the person who's who's brandishing if they are brandishing you know what is their intent you know and Tracking that is 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 important because you want to see the future as much as you can. You know, is this person, does this person have a target? Is this person looking to intimidate a crowd of people, people in general? Or is there a single focus to this person's intent? And if you are the, the person, uh, and even if you're not, but especially if you are the person who is the focus of this uh, individual with a blade, you want to look at distance, you know, how far away are you? How quickly can that person close the gap? So putting stuff in intermediate barriers in, in, in the way is a big deal. Even if it's something that you can easily, if it could be a folding chair or, a, you know, the, uh, any little, little thing that they could, but it still adds time uh, for them to close and um and and make a, a targeted hit um you want to get a weapon obviously if you can't get out of there if you can't get away without getting stabbed in the back which often is the case like you can't just turn and run uh you get stabbed in the back a lot so 
sometimes that's not an option. You know, uh, everyone says, well, just run, but you know, getting stabbed in the back is no good. So, um, it's yes, get out of there if you, uh, and create distance, but if you can't get something in the way, some type of shield like object, uh, it's, if it's a backpack, you know, pull a backpack off, you get something in between you and that, that person or a, a computer bag, a purse, uh, whatever you got in your hands, um, can create somewhat of a shield like object and, uh, and start putting stuff into your favor. Uh, obviously firearms and, uh, and other blades, uh, impact weapons, etc. But there's plenty of videos online and everyone knows you can find a video of just about anything you want nowadays, but of exchanges where a guy with a blade closed the gap and just made one contact shot to the, uh, to the chest. And that person ends up dying, you know, very fast, not a lot of blood. Uh, that person doesn't die right there. Usually, you know, you hear later, the captions of the video or whatever that guy died well it can happen very quickly and um so there's definitely techniques for shielding yourself from that blade but you know the reality is it can happen very fast and uh it takes an, an unbelievable amount of training to effectively deal with someone kind of of your same physical capability if they have a blade now if they have a very limited physical capability, you can uh, you can deal with it uh, easy. But if you take two people that are about the same physical capability, one person has to be highly skilled in order to stop a guy with a blade from from really doing a lot of damage. So, you know, or or you know, empty hand versus a blade. So, with another blade, probably most both people are going to get hurt bad. Both people may die. And uh, with a firearm, of course, you know, you got to create that distance. You got to keep that distance. Uh, intermediate barriers, geometry, uh, corners, uh, all that stuff is um, to your, you know, you can use to your favor to keep that person from closing. But it's a, it's more serious than some people believe. I see people in situations where a blade comes out and it's being brandished. And they're not really making a, a big move, you know. They're not. Yeah. They don't seem really to care too much that this yeah. person is is waving a blade around, and uh, that's a very dangerous way to be, you know. Yeah. Take it take it serious. Understand that, you know, you are moments away from being killed potentially, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, and take it, you know, take it with that amount of seriousness. You know, I don't really go too many places unarmed. Uh, 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 even though I know how to fight empty hand and I've trained for years to uh, deal with blades, striking, grappling, all that stuff. Yes, yes, yes. But I will not like if a guy pulls a a knife on me and I can't, I'm going to draw my gun. I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. And uh, I don't have any kind of uh, fantasy like, Oh well, I've trained to deal with this, so I'll I'll handle it, you know, uh, some other yeah. way. That's that's not a way to be, you know. Um, I've been doing this for for thirty years, and if I tell you that you need to do it, you probably need to do it. 
Um, you know, I think there are some people out there that think that they have the skill to kind of take blades off of people. And uh, that's a very dangerous idea that you're going to do that. So mm-hmm. that's just my take on it when someone produces a blade. Yeah. Um, you know, understand their intent. Look to put something in between you. Make it harder for him to get to you. Mm-hmm. Get a weapon and uh, continue to get space. You know, here's something that you can say to yourself at any time during any fight, during any situation. And it's better weapon, better position. Just say, I want a better weapon and better position. And say that to yourself over and over like a mantra. And you can say it in any situation. You can say it right now. Better weapon, better position. And the reality is, you don't need a better weapon or better position. Like you have the best weapon and best position right now. You're sitting here in your car, you got the best weapon and best position. But now some things change. Something, someone approaches, something, a threat emerges. Mm-hmm. You should say to yourself, better weapon, better position. And when you have moved to the very best position with the best weapon, yeah, then you can stop. But other than that, better weapon, better position. So that's just a simple thing to kind of talk about or say, hey, give me a give me give me one quick concept on uh, on facing a guy with a blade. Yeah. Better weapon, better position. You have to know what that weapon is and you have to know what that position is. Yeah. But it gets your can, mind open. Yeah, but you you it just gets you kind of like say that mantra to yourself. I need a better weapon and better position. And uh-huh. um, it doesn't matter. Like even if you end up you know, suppose you end up drawing your pistol and shooting that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, you can still say better weapon, better position. He goes down, he's down, you've shot him. Better yeah. weapon, better position. You know, a better weapon may be a gun that uh, not doesn't have half a mag in it. So better weapon, better position. I, I gas up the gun. Okay, now I have a full gun rather than a half a mag in my gun. All right, better weapon, better position. Do I want to be standing out here in the middle of the street? Nope. So I'm going to move somewhere else. Hey, police are going to show up. Police are going to show up to a violent confrontation, and I have a gun in my hand. Probably not the best way to be standing when the cops show up. So better weapon is not having a pistol in my hand when the cops show up. So the better weapon would be having empty hands. So you switch to a better weapon, better position. You know. and you just say that to yourself all the time and you'll be you'll be good. You'll be going down the right path as yeah. long as you know what the better position is and as long as you know what the better weapon is. That's that's the key. So solid. That's good yeah. to go. Better weapon, better position. Find it's like kind of like when you're doing private security and you're like, fine. I'm like, I'm always thinking, like, what's the next move? What's going next? Where are we going next that's right. from here? That's you know, right. what's you know, which doorway? Where do I, yep, where do I yeah. want to be? Better yep. weapon, better position. I like that. Um, so in terms of mindset, kind of going to, uh, the combat mindset, would you say that a knife fighting mindset is any different from your normal combat mindset? Or would I, be some I don't, considerations there? Yeah, I don't think it's, it's really any different except for in a, in a blade fight, uh, a fight that, in, that has blades involved, the consequences are very extreme and the time is compressed. So things are happening very, very fast, much faster than we can kind of track in our normal mental process. So 
you have to install all of your responses on a muscle memory level, a reflexive response level. So your your correct response or conditioned response, the speed of that is not enough. You need reflexive reflexive speed. So what you want to do is think about installing all the proper movement and stuff like that through hours and hours of training. Well, the mindset you know leads us to understand that that's a ne- that's a necessity. Understanding the the reality of a of a blade confrontation, extreme high consequences and extreme extremely fast uh unfolding events. Like for instance, a striking confrontation. So you're you're going to you're in a punching uh punching kind of match with someone. You know, it's slower than a knife fight. Mm. Because in order to punch someone effectively, you need to develop some power. You know, you can't just no, like a slap fight, in a slap fight, hands are faster than in a actual a fight yeah. where you're going to try to like knock someone out. makers and like knock someone out. Yeah. Right. So like the speed of a slap fight, but the slap fight doesn't have a lot of consequence because people don't hit that hard. Yeah. So you, you think about a slap fight with, with, a, with a sharp piece of metal in your hand. That is the speed. So the thing is, it happens even faster than a fist fight. Um, but the consequences, of course, are much, much steeper, higher than this fight. Yeah. You know, so a grappling matches are slower yet. And the consequences are not usually nearly as, as, as great. Uh, you know, gunfights, obviously very fast, but you have to produce the weapon and it's not as fast as getting a blade in your hand. And certainly um, but once the weapon's out, yeah, things are moving real fast and there's great distance, you know, that, that, that you can cover in this fight. So, you know, understanding the, the dynamics of each one of these types of fights changes a little bit the mindset that you have when you deal with it. You know, the consequences are big. In a, in a striking match, you can cover, like you can cover up and you can absorb shots and you can do really well. There is no covering up and absorbing shots with a blade. Like you're not just going to take one, you know. So all those things change the mindset uh, that you have to have when you step into that that type of of fight. So you know that. So those things do change. But the basic understanding of mindset on the universal level does not change, and meaning that. Every fight is only made up of three elements. The, the elements of any fight are force, space, and time. And that's it. There are no other elements involved in a fight or a confrontation of any sort. It's all force, space, and time. Now, how do they play out for you? Because in order to win a confrontation, you need to control two of those elements, those basic elements. So you need to control force and time or force and space, or space and time, one of those combinations. Now, if you can control all three, then it's easy day. It's an easy day. It's not even a fight. You won't even break a sweat. If you only control one, you are going to lose. So you could have a lot of force, but time and space are not uh, in your control. So the other guy goes first, and he moves in, to a range where he can do damage, he goes first, and then he can move out. 
of that range. And uh, you could have your gun still in your holster. You could have a lot of force. You could have, a, you know, you could, you could be real strong, strong. <laughs> all kinds of training and a crusher, just a crusher. If you got a chance to go, you would do great things, but time and space were on his side and you can do it you know, any number of, of, of combinations. You know, you could say, I, I'm not going to go first. I, I can't go first. I lose time. So that guy has time, but I've got force and space. So he goes first, but I move away. Right. And I move outside the range that he can effectively uh, finish me off. And then I get force online and I move back into range. And, and even though I've gone second, you know, it's like the guy who takes a swing at you. Um, he gets to go first, but your mobility takes it so that you can slip and dodge and, and, and fade away and get your gun out or get your blade out, or you can get force online. So you get force and space, then you can crush it. Uh, if you have force and time, you can crush them. If you have time and space, you can crush them. But you have to have two. So that's the basic understanding of of conflict on the universals. That doesn't change for anything. It's the type of force you have. So now you have edge weapons. That's a certain type of force. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that changes it somewhat. But the universals don't change. You still need to have force of some sort you still need to control time which means going first and you still need to control space which is mobility the ability to to deny space to someone else and the ability to use space so that's all there is in fighting in any kind of conflict wow. in fact even if you're playing a game of chess um there's only four space and time and um so if you're playing a game of chess do you control you need to control two of those to win you need to have space to move your pieces and freedom of movement. You need to have your pieces online so that they are angling and effectively using their, their force, their pressure on the enemy. And you have to have tempo in chess. They call it tempo, which is I'm moving. That other person is responding to my movement. He's not making his own move. He can't make his own move yet because he's got to fix whatever I attack. I just He can't just go do what he wants. Now he's got to respond to my, to my uh, force. You're so in his hoodaloo. loop. That's right. That's exactly right. So you know what I'm saying? That's it. And, and understanding OODA loop, another key thing, you know. You know, those universals don't change. OODA loop doesn't change. Force, space, and time don't change. But the way we use the force, the type of force, does have unique elements to it. And some force counters other force better, you know like a ranged attack uh, does well against a blade, you know, because a blade is a contact weapon. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the type of force you, you choose to bring online is, is got to be appropriate, you know, to yeah. win, you know, just like if a guy jumps on your buddy's back and he's choking him to death or stabbing him to death or whatever, like you could pull out your gun, but the chances of you, shooting through that guy and hitting your buddy uh are not good so you yeah. may choose a different type of force you may choose an edge weapon to peel him off your buddy or even empty hand uh, so it's like the appropriate force uh is is what needs to be looked at too, as well so 
you know, so that, that's how the mindset changes, you know, when yeah. you deal with edge weapons, it's really, what are the dynamics of this type of weapon and how does that affect it? But the universals are still the same and, and always are. Yeah. For space and time. That's the first time I've heard that, man. That's an, um, like my mind, I'm thinking about it and it's definitely true. You know, those are the factors that we're, we're juggling and managing as that we're event constantly, unfolds. constantly managing that. And if you lose one, you try to gain another, like sometimes you lose force. Well, then you gain space and you get out of there, you know, yeah. you break contact or, you know, you, you gain time, you know, like if you don't have the force, you got to go first. If you let him go first with his force, he's going to have time and force and that's no good. So you got to go first. So anyway, those universals always are going to be there, but, but the, uh, the, the specifics of the use of force definitely changes somewhat with blades and just like it does with pistols and, and empty hands and grappling, you know, everything's got its, uh, it's got its nuance and yeah. you gotta, you gotta understand it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. What would you, yeah. What would you say about, um, what would be the hardest lessons you've learned during, you know, blade work or any real world situations you've been in? Um, in terms of- well, dealing with my own, um, my own kind of bias and my own bad habits, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, my overconfidence as a younger guy was one of the big things I had to learn to deal with. Uh, I thought that I could do more than I could do. So I would, uh, I wouldn't do whatever job I was given in any situation. I would always try to do more, uh, than, than that. And then what would happen is I wouldn't do it effectively. I wouldn't do my job effectively and I wouldn't do the job I was trying to also do on top of it effectively. It was like a lesson I had to learn of like, Hey, just do your job. Stop worrying about other people's jobs and overestimating my own ability and really underestimating other people's abilities. You know, it was kind of an arrogance or a, um, you know, something along those lines that really needed to be, uh, checked and, uh, you know, it was one of the toughest things for me. Uh, it had to constantly be put, shown to me over and over again before I mm. even believed that, that that's something I, I did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of being young and being full of fire and ready to go do stuff, but uh, realizing that, you know, you can't do everything. And mm. uh, the reality of things, you know, you get friends killed or, mm. uh, bad shit happens and then you're like dang you realize it it may be arrogance that causes that kind of stuff and uh mm-hmm. you know it's it's a tough it's a it's a tough thing to learn but um that that was that was the thing for me i think is just understanding my limitations you know okay yeah no that's that's uh yeah, that's you learn a that one, when, you, when you when you get older <laughs> yeah you will learn you will yeah learn the thing so that's the kind of thing that had that had to happen for me but, uh-huh. but it was uh you know uh i'm definitely as an older guy i'm definitely uh-huh. less capable than i than i used to be but i'm a lot smarter than i used to be so right uh, that's luckily that's that's how it usually works mm-hmm. if it doesn't work that way then you're you're dealing with people who are basically useless you know uh, yeah, <laughs> if they're just as dumb as they were when they were 25, but now they're 55, 
uh, we can't really use you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. We can't help you. I can't fix it. We can't help you. You gotta, gotta go, go work somewhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what would you say about, cause everyone's carrying knives, you know? Yeah. Um, what would you say about knife placement and knife selection? Um, I would, I would really, you know, one thing I have to, I have to, you know, are you an appendix guy or, a, <laughs> you know, how we yeah, talk about guns, you know, I, I am, I am definitely, um, well, one thing that has to be understood is that folding knives mm-hmm. are not be counted on to be, to, to come out very fast. Okay. So in a com in a, in a, in a real conflict, a combat situation, um, if you want a quick draw, a, a blade, you don't want to have a folder. Folders right. do not quick draw. Um, Folders are weaker physically. They break easier. Um, so I am a fixed blade kind of guy. I like fixed blades. Not necessarily big fixed blades, but I like I like blades that are fixed. Um, I, w- I may carry a folder as a utility blade Damn. or something I'm going to use uh, to work with. But if I want a blade that I'm going to use as a weapon, then I'm going to have a fixed blade. And my very first blade that I put on me is always going to be opposite my pistol. So if I carry my pistol on the right side, I'm going to have a blade on the left side. And that pistol can be drawn with one hand. The blade can be drawn with one hand and I can have that. I can use them in, in conjunction with each other. So if someone's trying to grab your pistol out of your hand, it is extremely hard to get someone's pistol out of their hand. If they have a blade in the other hand, like right. it is, it's like you're not doing it. Good luck. Uh, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you big time. Right. So the thing is, we always want to look to support our pistol with our blade. There's no better tool for supporting uh, a, a firearm than with than a blade, because the main thing that people will do is try to take that that weapon off of you. And the blade is a is a weapon retention tool. Um, so that's a big thing of having that blade so it can support. But I recommend that you have blades on both sides that can be reached with either hand um, because the position that you're in may require that. And um, also if I have to hand a blade off to someone, I don't want to just have one on me and give them my only blade. So I'll always have multiple blades on me if for nothing else than to give a blade to someone who needs it for some task that they're uh, you know, they're cutting somebody out of a car or doing something where yeah. they don't have a blade on them for some reason. Uh, and I'll talk to them later about that. But I give them the I give them my blade like, hey, take care of your business. You should have your own blade on you. Here's my here's one of mine, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of situations where uh, mostly grappling situations where. If you could, you'd shoot this guy but you're in a wrestling match with him and you don't have a gun or you can't get your gun out. Being able to access a blade in that situation is very powerful. You yeah, know, you immediately, it's like immediate Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as soon as you put a blade in. <laughs> you're right. Black Force belt. multiplier, instant. Yeah, yeah you know, so. Trump card. You know, yeah, so, you know, for those, for those purposes, definitely yeah. I like um, having blades accessible with either hand. Okay. And, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I do a lot on my, on my waistline. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly I carry my pistol at three o'clock. So I carry a blade at nine o'clock. Okay. Uh, and 
I will also carry maybe some appendix blades, um, <clears throat> depending on uh, the situation I'm in. But um, then I'll, I'll usually have a blade in a bag. Uh, you can carry bigger blades. You know, there's definitely places in the world that we go where you can maybe you won't be able to get a pistol or a rifle, but you could carry a machete and walk down the street with it. No one cares. Like yeah, everyone's, yeah. Walking, everyone's walking around with machetes. With machetes. <laughs> so the thing is, it's like, well, go get a machete. But, but if you go to that country and you can't carry a, a pistol and you're a gun guy, yeah, you can go get a machete, except you don't know what to do with it. So mm -hmm. that's kind of no good. So you want to be able to learn how to do that so that if I'm in a country where that's all I can have, that's fine because I'm good with this, you know? Yeah. And uh, so ca carrying, sometimes carrying a longer blade, we'll carry in a bag or a, a diagonally across our back underneath a jacket. Um, but you know, that there's times when we, we carry pretty much all over, but, uh, and of course we, you know, when we, when we say blade or edge weapon, we really mean anything that will perforate or sever in any way. So I'll carry toothpicks in the, in, you know, stuck in, stuck in my pocket, a needle, ballpoint pen, um, anything that will perforate or sever in any way. So there's times when a ballpoint pen may be the best stabbing tool I can even have where I am. And, um, so I'll make sure I have a bunch of them, you know. Mm -hmm. So when we say edge weapon, you know, it's it's a, you know, it's it's a pretty broad group of things, you know. Heck yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that. You know, it's it, the considerations. Make sure it can support your firearm. Make sure you can get to it with both hands. Folders yeah. are slow. They're more utility blade uh, yep. types of blades. Fixed yep. blades are more your going to be your combat blades. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, yeah, I, I had a guy showing me some stuff once and I remember you're just not going to get to that fixed blade, especially if you're meat on meat, getting physical with somebody, it's real tough. You're going to have to have a lot of force yeah, over you, them maybe to pull and, that off. And that's why you have to train more than, than just one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I tell people like a lot of gunfights start off as fist fights and a lot of, mm -hmm. Uh, knife fights start off as fist fights. So be a good fist fighter, you know, yeah. um, because um, it may, it may turn into something more than this, but you have to be able to win this. You know, if you get knocked out, you never get, you never draw your pistol. You get right. knocked out, you never draw your blade. So you can't just be a one dimensional kind of combatant. You know, we need to integrate all of our skills, we need to first of all have those skills and then we need to integrate them. So Full if spectrum. you're doing jujitsu on Tuesday and boxing on Wednesday, and then you go to the range every Thursday, whatever that is, uh, you're training all these things separately. What you need to do is have a day where you integrate and you okay. say, how am I using my fist while I'm using my In blade? conjunction with, okay. How am I how am I drawing my pistol from this situation where I'm uh, in a fist fight with someone, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in a grappling fight even. Mm -hmm. And now more people are being introduced to this fight, emerging threats. Now I have to transition while I'm rolling around on the ground. How am I transitioning and getting my pistol into this fight? 
it's a question that is obviously, of course, that can happen in real life. But how many people actively go about training to do that? And uh, most people don't. Most people just train their whatever they're going to do that Whatever their genre is, yeah. You know, like how many people have their pistol on when they're doing jujitsu? Like everyone should. Nah, but when we go to the range, I I do the, I do my, (laughs) I do my elbow up a couple of shots, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely a popular one these days, but. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's those are really good. Not to cut you off, I just had a joke popped in. Oh, you're right. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of things aren't complete, you know, with that movement. Um, right. So right. I don't see that being enough to get you the clearance you need to do what you need to do. Really, not everything. Yeah, it's going to be more than that, you know. But you know, everyone's got to start off somewhere. Yeah. And so, true. you know, we'll definitely do classes where, you know, we'll just do. B- basic pistol work or we start doing pistol dynamics which is how do you move with a pistol in your hand how do you get off the x how do you break hard right left how do you uh dynamically change your position with a pistol and and be effective and then so after pistol dynamics we do uh integrated combatives integrated uh, combatives and that's where we are that's where we're hitting pads. We bring tie pads out to the range, awesome. and you're going to be hitting pads and transitioning to other weapons, whether it's a blade uh, or or a pistol, uh, or your pistol, your or your dynamics. So you're moving, you're moving, shooting, striking, grappling, all that stuff has got to be <clears throat> looked at how we do that together. Because on the day, right, you may end up doing that. You know, on the day, you may be in a grappling match, drawing a blade because that's the tool that's best right there. And then realizing I got to draw a pistol <laughs> because yeah. things are evolving pretty fast here and more people are being involved, you know, getting involved from further away. And uh, and then, you know, to control the situation, I got to get a pistol in my hand, um, you know, but that's the way it may go. So, yeah. And when you're I mean, when you're loaded when you have weapons on you like a lot of us do and and yes. as a requirement for work every single physical altercation if you're in something it's a life-threatening exactly. something you just yep. found yourself into so yeah because you uh, got the weapons on you yeah right Absolutely. exactly so the of capabilities yep. that you need they need to really be able to go from the start line to the finish line if that's what's required 100 percent that's for sure um what do you think some of the greatest assumptions about knife fighting are that uh could we could possibly dispel a little bit here well i i think i hear stuff people say stuff like well if a guy holds a blade like this that means he's uh trained or uh they they do assessments of the individual based on on certain types of movement Mm -hmm. um that's not true. And, you know, kind of like they'll listen to stuff like, say, um, the 21 foot rule, right? The tooler, tooler rule. So, you know, that was something that was determined as a rule of thumb for how far away someone can be from you and still be dangerous. But, you know, that's not written in stone. Um, mm-hmm. Someone could be further away and still be dangerous. Um, right. You know, so like kind of just, just like 
basing things on just like some um, theories. Yeah, like some just some catch kind of some catchy phrases or you know something like it's there's got to be logic behind it and you have to understand the logic behind it before you believe make it part of your understanding <laughs> what to do or what not to do. You yeah. know, you don't want to just start you know, uh, repeating things or, or listing the things that you don't understand, uh, because there's usually more to it than, than meets the eye. So, you know, um, so some of the things is, is getting people to understand how dangerous edge weapons really are is something <clears throat> I would, I would want to dispel the myths of, um, of, of the, just the people who think that, that they're not that dangerous. Um, and and really other things are like, hey, if you use a knife, then you're obviously a bad guy. You know, like that myth, I would like to, you know, that's something I would like people to change their understanding on. It's a weapon just like anything else. And yeah. uh, it can be something, you know, I remember years ago when we were training cops uh, back in the 90s, uh, you know, you couldn't get any cops carry blades because uh, bad guys carry blades, you know, not good guys. Uh, really? And uh, That's interesting. And even cops that had blades on them, it was not legal. In the, the department did not allow it. They carried them secretly. And because um, the department didn't want to have, you know, cops, you know, with blades on them. Uh, meanwhile, almost Stabbing every cop had blades. a blade on them. Yeah. 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 So, so we... We, uh, in the last few years, I think it was maybe five or six years ago, we got our training into the Cleat Academy in Oklahoma. So every cop going through a police academy in Oklahoma gets trained by, by in our system. So Awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're making inroads in some of the law enforcement areas, and they're, and they're starting to dispel some of those myths of uh, like that. But you know, it's, um, it's a slow process, but, uh, you know, uh, also the, the idea that you're going to be able to see the blade deployed, you uh -huh. know, um, in most cases, blades are not seen first, right? Yeah. Like there are times when people will brandish with a blade for sure, uh -huh. but there's a lot of times when people will secretly hide a blade until it's in you. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that's, you, you know, you have, when someone that. wants to come forward, when someone wants to approach you and hit you, you've got to understand that it, there may be a blade involved and you just don't see it. Mm. And uh, a lot of people who who live through a stabbing say, I thought the guy was punching me. And wow. then I couldn't breathe anymore, you know, and where uh, I felt wetness on my shirt and I realized that I was stabbed, not punched mm. uh, because it doesn't feel any different. You know, so uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's an important thing to to understand. Not a lot of people do, but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, yeah, no, that's that's uh, and I mean that makes sense. You know, we've had times and you know where we, you know, in Iraq where you get back in the Humvee and you realize someone's been shot. You know, yeah, or and it's yes. like, oh, okay, well, we got to deal with this. And they're like looking at you like, oh you know <laughs> yep uh, so that that makes perfect sense yeah. um what would is there like a big mistake you see people make in kind of beginners classes when it comes to like knife fighting i i think everyone kind of is very rigid and very um stiff you know mm -hmm. um 
And of course, you don't just make that magically go away by telling them that they're too rigid or too stiff or, uh, you know, they have to train to get it to go away, but that's a very common thing to see. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, the speed that we're dealing with, with the blade requires someone to be fluid and, and requires someone not to be stiff. And, uh, so, you know, that's something that needs to be learned and, and learned through repetition, but, you know, uh, that's a, a big thing. Uh, people don't target enough, uh, okay. on the other side of things. So if you're using an edge weapon, you need to really specifically target. And that's, that of course, it has to be taught also through repetition, but all the training, you know, really the training is looking to get rid of all these things. You know, that's, these are the things that we focus on, uh, because they are very common, but, um, and then, then the, the new issue is once they've trained a little bit, you got to remind them that uh, they're not, they should never count on this as a, as a, their for, their first uh, defense, like realistic yeah. survival yeah, skill like, or. Yeah. Like don't dominate. just because you've learned some stuff. Don't, <laughs> uh, you know, respect it. Don't, yeah. don't go out and, and try to be the man force the situation or, if you see a guy with a knife, like don't step up, like ah, oh, I I know what I'm to do knife. here. <laughs> yeah, it's ego uh, management, you know. Yeah, ego management, definitely. That's right. a good way. To put it. That's a good way to put it for sure. Most men can uh, survive adversity, but if you want to see someone's real character, you give them power. <laughs> you know, that's right. That be the the deal, man. That's that's so true. So, are there any systems out there that you would kind of steer guys towards or away from? In terms of, you know, if someone's like wanting to get into learning yeah. knife fighting, yeah, I, I would look. There's a lot of Filipino systems that are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some Indonesian systems that are that are good. I I would really uh, look for look for those systems and look for systems that are based in uh, kind of a tactical mindset rather than a. I mean, there are. There are systems that are ancient systems, like traditional systems. Mm-hmm. There are modern systems that are more tactical, um, mm-hmm. and they fit closer to what's going on. But there's some Filipino systems out there that are that are very good. Um, okay. You know, Saya Kali, of course, the system that I've trained in, and I've looked at systems over the years, and I haven't seen any systems that are equal to us in the logic and the and the uh, practicality of what we do, but other systems that are good. Uh, Atienza Kali is another Filipino system. And uh, it's a, it's a terrific system and it's one of the best long blade systems I've ever seen. Mm. Um, uh, An amazing, amazing martial art. Um, You know, on the West coast, uh, uh, Bahalana is another system. Yep. Um, Grandmaster Kirk McCune. Uh, and, and that's a, that's a traditional, uh, Filipino system and, uh, very, very good system. And there's a lot, there's a lot of systems around like that, you know, you know, practical kind of, uh, use of different weapons. Now, some of them kind of, uh, go towards impact weapons or sticks. Okay. Um, some of them do less blade work or more blade work. The, the systems that I would stay away from would be like, there, there aren't a lot of systems that are, I think are bad, except they're really abused systems like Sistema. Uh, I would, I would stay away from. 
only because the people who are promoting it are kind of giving people an idea that they can do things that they can't do. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very dangerous. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's very <laughs> dangerous, you know. So it's kind of like. Because um, you're false in something that, that you're trusting yeah. something that a shield that won't work, essentially. Yeah, they're going to get people. They're going to get people killed. Systema is one I would stay away from. But uh, some systems aren't really blade systems, but they try to do it. So like when I see. Basically, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys who are trying to teach you how, how you deal with a blade, well, that's not what they do. So they make all kinds of bad, there's a lot of bad technique. They should just stay in their lane and do what they specialize in and what they're, <laughs> yeah. great, they're great at, you know, uh, because they are great. It, it's, a, it's a great discipline as long as they don't try to do something that they don't do, you know. Um, yeah. But as far as people out there like, Systems like Krav Maga, they, when dealing with blades, they ha they make some dangerous kind of uh, fundamental mistake. But I think that Krav has a lot of good stuff in it, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily stay away from the system. I think the system is good for a lot of people. It's just, you know, when you when you really talk about blade work, you gotta you gotta go to people who really specialize in blade work, you know, and um, you know. Uh, the there are systems like Piper and um, some other blade work blade systems that are very narrow in their they're too specialized and really they're for uh, how to stab someone not how to keep from getting stabbed so if there's stuff like that I mean you know really stabbing someone with a blade is not that difficult to do but you know the real work is like okay. I don't have a blade in my hand. Someone's trying to stab me. How am I staying alive long enough to get my weapons online and mm -hmm. get out and into the fight? And that is that is a very difficult thing to do and requires a lot of skill and a lot of logic and a lot of structured training. So, you know, you got to look at uh, systems that that decide to take that on. There are very few that that can do it. A lot of people just abandon the idea because it's so difficult you know they say oh that's impossible you can't defend against a blade with an mpm but but you of course you can you know yeah you might have to like, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> try to like, figure out for you got to figure it out you know <laughs> like, that's right that's right so you know i but you see videos online you know of some guy who's trying to prove that the the the, the martial arts yeah the martial arts that say they can can't and what they do is they put some guy in a gi and then they have some guy in a hoodie, you know, charge stab and, and start stabbing him like a maniac. And while this guy tries to grab the hand or deflect it or and of course, he just gets stabbed into a ball on the ground. <laughs> and, uh, and then they go, see, see, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but in reality, if uh, if that guy came charging and he ate a straight right hand to the face. You know, and then the guy started working on controlling the hand that had the blade. You know, it could end up completely different. You could knock that guy out. So yeah, the thing is, of course you can. It's not a great situation to be in, but yeah. there are things that you can do. So, you know, the truth lies lies in between, somewhere between the, the crazy people out there that are trying to do mind control on people uh -huh. and like 
you know, they wave their hands and the people fall down like they do in systemic like in church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, yeah. uh, or, or the people who, uh, think that there's nothing you can do and you're just going to get stabbed to death automatically. Well, the truth is in between there's, there are yes. things that you can do, but it's very difficult. And that's, that's where we live. We live in that, in that area in between. We, we stay realistic, but we, we also want to logically look at answers to those very important questions, you know, so. Yeah, heck yeah. No, I agree 100% with that. Now, the answer is always somewhere in between. What would yeah. you, uh, like, I know the application probably dictates most of this, but how yeah. would you explain like a good, like dimensions and, and shapes yeah. and Tonto tips, raid? What would you, how would you explain like a good everyday combat right. blade that you'd just keep with you well here's the thing about a small blade we're going to carry something that's fairly small because we're going to conceal it so we're really Mm -hmm. looking at a blade probably probably six inches and under and probably even smaller than that probably around four inches it the because it's so small lengthwise you you want to have a thrusting blade because for this to be effective you're going to have to kind of get into the body and it only has a very small, short edge on it. So because of that, your, your slashing effectiveness is going to be limited because when a short-edged blade slashes, as soon as the blade is, is done, the slash, whatever depth you've gained is all you got. Now you have to re- reapply that blade over and over again in order to slash into or through clothes or gear or any of that stuff. So that being said, we really want to thrust. So that's where you're going to get the effectiveness of a small blade thrusting. Okay. If that is understood, then the point has got to be a thrusting point. Um, And the design should be a thrusting design primarily so that you can get in through the clothes, through the gear and get into the body where you're going to affect it you know, cutting connective tissue and uh, nerves and uh, big vessels. So you got to be able to thrust. So your tip's got to be a thrusting. So I like a spear point uh, on the blade. So a spear pointed blade. Now, a some a a, uh, a partial double edge is good. Like so, a full edge on one side and a short edge on the other. Okay. Uh, Make sure makes your tip so that when you thrust with it, it cuts on both sides of the point and enters um, very easily. So uh, that's a good way to go. Some type of, but some type of needle point, not a tanto point, not a um, a blunt point, point, but a okay. needle sharp point. The handle should be something that lends itself to thrusting. So it should be slightly larger near the blade side and tapering to the to the butt side of the of the blade to the to the pommel of the blade the boot, yeah the hand. yeah so and that's so that you have a taper in your hand so that when you're thrusting you will your hand that that blade will fill the hand and that wet will wedge into your hand rather than the opposite way so if you were to grab a um a taper, a cone, an icicle. If you grabbed a hold of an icicle, one way you would push on it, it would slide through your hand, and the other way it wouldn't. 
you know. So if you tried to push that icicle further into your hand, uh, wedge it into your hand, you're, you'd be able to hold on to it. But if you wanted to push it the other way, your hand would slide down it, right? So right. when you look at the handle of a blade, it should have some type of taper on it, which allows you to thrust with that blade and your hand not ride up onto the blade. So yeah. the handle should be slightly larger or taper as it gets towards uh, the guard of the blade. Okay. And um, so you start to look at blades with that type of handle and not the opposite. You know, um, there are blades out there with the opposite handle. And when you start to thrust with them, you will almost ensure that you'll ride that blade and you'll, you'll cut yourself. So that's, that's something yeah. pretty, pretty important. Uh, a good a good carry mechanism, a good way to adhere it to your belt, something you can move around. I like metal clips that are spring clips, and you can unclip them and take them off your belt, put them on your belt, move it around your belt however you want. So some type of metal clip. And a sheathing system, I, I prefer Kydex. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, obviously it wears well. It um, It's thin. And... Um, Right now, I mean, the blades out there that I see that are really good blades are blades from Headhunter Knives. Headhunter, yeah, and that's in Texas. Uh, Harley Elmore is the guy who does that, uh, who runs Headhunter, Headhunter okay. Blades. And um, the uh, Atienza Kali guys make blades, very good. Amtac, which is um, American Tactical Shooting. Uh, American Tactical make... Uh, blade it's called amtac and and uh they have a blade called the northman which is a really good little blade i carry on me all the time so you know there's a couple places out there that that make good blades but uh but they're not that common you know surprisingly the guys who make blades are often really good knife makers but not end users and uh or they use it for skinning or some type of uh, camp camping stuff, but yeah, utility stuff. Yeah, know. but they don't really understand the fighting of, with a blade, so they of course don't make the blade with that in mind. So um, surprisingly, there's not a lot of blades out there that are really optimally designed for for hmm. use in combat. There's a few. Okay. You know, okay. But, Head on her. Um, We'll check those. We'll throw those links down in the right in on. the uh, write up for this. Then, yeah, uh, good to go. The proudest moments you've had with regards to your training and what you're doing, and for the industry in terms of knife fighting and things like that. Um, you know, the training that we've done with some of the military units. I, I um, you know, some of the some of the training has um, led to you know very positive real world um successes wow okay so you know the working with those units and then um being being a small part of of their success has been a um been something that i'm I'm proud of and and really uh you know every time uh you know i see one of my students succeed and go to the next level and kind of evolve into a teacher or uh, someone who can pass down the information 
I, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud to see them do well. And, uh, it's, it's the thing that we leave behind that is, um, you know, has value, you know, uh, is, is the people that we affect. Yeah. And, um, so when I, when I see a positive effect, um, on people who've trained with me, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm proud to, to be part of that, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's probably, you know, what I would, what I would say, you know? Yeah, man. Seeing the real world application of the work. That's yeah, that's, that's yeah, gotta be heartwarming. That's invaluable, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a good, uh, a good feeling for sure. Outstanding. Um, Okay, so last few questions here. If there's one thing, you know, for the world to remember you by, the type of man you are, what would you say uh, you'd want that to be? I, uh, you know, of course, you know, I don't, I don't care about the whole world remembering me, but, you know, I hope that I'm remembered through, you know, the people that I affect, you know, the people that I care about and the people that I train. I hope that um, I don't even care if they remember me as long as they remember what I taught them, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I hope that they continue to pass on the information and um, you know, I just want to be one of the 10,000 hands. I mean, okay. you know, we, we, we say, uh, you know, when you draw your blade, 10,000 hands, draw it with you, which really? is, which is the, you know, the idea that all of the information that's handed down from generation to generation is with you. So when you go into action and you draw your blade, you're not by yourself. There, these, you know, all of your ancestors, everyone who's passed anything down to you throughout the years is there with you in, in that information, in that, in that uh, 10,000. So, you know, at some point, I'm just going to be one of the 10,000 hands. That's all, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, and I'll be, and I'm good with that. You know, I don't, I don't need anything more than that. And that, that certainly is enough. You know, when my students and my students didn't, they might not remember my name, um, but it doesn't matter as long as they remember what they need to have with them at that moment. You know, it's the future tribe, you know, so we live for our tribe and we live for the future of the tribe. So, you know, when you draw your blade, 10,000 hands will draw it with you. you know? Heck yeah. That's good stuff. Um, and I, I mean, not to go backwards, but I remember you were saying that your art form, and I mean, it's a living form. It's a living, evolving, yes. you know, ology. You know, I really like that a lot. You know, yeah. Yeah. that's good to go. It's ultra, keeps it relevant. Yeah, um, that's the key. Yeah. Well, favorite quote, favorite mantra. Oh man, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's so much, um, right. Any of them, you know, there's so many quotes. I'm, I'm big into quotes. So, uh, um, okay. You know, uh, as kind of a, a caption of like how people, you know, kind of, uh, encapsulate a, a bigger idea, but, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I have one right up. The and it comes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They always come to you right afterwards or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you, is there a ritual, or we can come back to that one once it pops in your head after <laughs> asking another. Uh, what 
is there like a ritual or a habit in your life uh, that you'd like to pass on that, you know, you believe makes you a better person or better at combat or better knife fighting, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, looking to incrementally improve yourself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people look for big improvements. They want a big payoff. Yeah. Um, But, you know, incremental improvement like we have something that we 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 talk about in the system which is your 24-hour clone Hmm. and the idea is this what if every midnight you had to fight to the death with your clone your exact clone from 24 hours ago and you need to have done something in this last 24 hours to make yourself one percent better and yeah. you will win. So you got to kill your clone. So the the idea is, you know, what have you done today to kill your clone? Man, and, that's so good. <laughs> and so we incrementally improve ourselves, even if it's a little bit. That's all you're going to need because we're going to do this every day. It's going to add up. And um, it can be physical, could be mental, could be emotional. Um, but whatever it is, what have you done today to kill your clone? And that's that's the kind of idea behind it, you know, and it's, it's, it's a powerful thing that keeps you because a lot of people look for some big payoff or some, Mm -hmm. you know, and they won't do it if they can't see this, this thing, but that's, you you need to remember that at a certain point in your life, you're not going to get big payoffs anymore. You're going to, because you're already so good. Mm -hmm. You're you're not going to see any huge jumps. You're going to incrementally slowly improve. And, um, and so that's, that's, you know, so killing our clones is, is something that we talk about, um, uh, in the system as well, you know, to kind of get the right mindset when it comes to training. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's life ethos stuff right there, man. Yeah. That's, that's church, you know, that's wake up in the morning and think about that. That's, that's good. It. I love that, man. That's it. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So what are you up to these days and where can people find you, brother? Well, you know, we're, uh, I'm running STG, um, SIAC tactical group. And, uh, we are, we are doing a lot of training for the military and, uh, and the government. And we are, we are really turning and burning with that stuff. Very, um, very busy, but, uh, but you can, you can check out SIAC.com, S-A-Y-O-C.com. And that's, uh, the website for the system. Um, and that's our that's our uh, public civilian system of martial arts, and uh, that's a big thing, big part of what I'm doing every day. Um, the uh, the side tactical group stuff. Obviously, we spend a lot of time behind the scenes mm-hmm. and working with people who who you can't say who they are, mm-hmm. but um, but we do a lot of public stuff through Sciac.com and, okay. uh, and through the system there. So that would be the way you would uh, hook up with us and find us. Okay. Good to go. And hopefully you're coming to Cali sometime soon. You gotta let me know where I can find that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Yep. Good to go. Well, man, that, uh, I appreciate your time, Tom, your, your wealth of knowledge, wisdom. You got a lot of depth, man. This, I mean, I can tell we're just like scratching the surface, you know. Well, it's 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 good. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. You know, uh, it's uh, it's great to uh, 
it's great to get out there and have a good conversation with someone who's uh who's in the same in the same mindset you know it's uh it's always enjoyable so yeah i appreciate it yeah, i appreciate that's a big compliment i appreciate that too man it, it's uh the world's an interesting place but you know yes. we're built for it we built for a lot of things so yeah that's good to go heck yeah all right well thanks so much tom we uh i look forward to talking with you again soon and uh it's been an honor brother yep stay take care and if you haven't already, get your tickets for the Protector Symposium. The first annual Protector Symposium is taking place in Riverside, California, November 15th and 16th. We've got an all-star lineup of seriously elite trainers. Yosef Badu, Ed Caldrone, and Mike Pannone are all going to be there teaching and instructing us on well, our common goal, how to make good people more dangerous. So no matter what your background is, you're going to learn skills around the one unifying principle of protection. Get your tickets. Uh, spots are going quickly. And remember, you're going to get over $100 worth of value back in different things that you're going to get from our sponsors with your purchase of a ticket. Check the website out, Byron Rogers Motivation, for ticket information and to learn more. Out. Boom, and to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that, the lifestyle behind that. You guys are already killing it. $1 a month. $5 a month, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on McDonald's. Hey, you want to put it towards something that's going to good use? Put it towards a podcast and get involved in our, our Patreon account at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's byronrogersmotivation.com. Um, you know, do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can to that Patreon account because it makes all of these things possible, ladies and gentlemen. So much love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there, and it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, follow us on Instagram and check us out at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's Byron Rogers Motivation. Com, and I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all, stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out. <laughs>